The two of us. Yeah. I think the two of us whoop his ass every time. Welcome to Death Row. Like we always do about this time. <laughs> I keep it real. You don't know, you damn sure should know. I view him. What is the game plan? Come home with a pocket full of cash. Baby, we done it. Well, this baby. Break out the red panties. Hey, pussy, are you still there? I back. Trust me, I back. 60 G's, baby! <laughs> My balls are hot. She. Welcome to the MMA for Money show. This is MMA State of Mind. Bob Voss here with my co-host M. Cope. And we're here to break down, pontificate, and predict fights for you. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing amazing, man. Pleasure to be here. Now, I wish we could come in hot on our second episode with a winning weekend. But also, we we didn't have a losing weekend. We didn't have a winning one. Uh, Basically, you got all your money back (laughs) from what you would have bet. But uh, that's based on some serious decisions we're going to get into now. Uh, To start things off, just as a fun uh, breakdown, me and Mike picked the the Steven Peterson and Martin Bravo fight. Just as fun to pick it out. And not only did Mike completely call it because he said Bravo's chin was gone, but there wasn't there was a magical spinning back fist KO, but it wasn't just that in the first round, there was a counter spinning back kick strike landed. And in the second fight, it was a counter spinning back fist KO. The only, the seventh one in history, it was, he just was absolutely deaded going from a dominant first round. That's Bravo to getting completely laid out by Peterson. So like any feelings on this fight or just like, the utter awe that it gave you like it gave me oh man it it was you know i i was i wish that i would have stuck to my instincts and had more faith in peterson but that first round was much hairier than i would have liked to have been through so bravo was doing really really well that first round i don't know if the elevation uh, had a, some factor but i'm sure it did but he seemed to slow down a little bit and then peterson man uh overcame and had more heart in the end and they both went for that spinning back fist at the same time and it just turned out peterson just caught him right on the chin and he deaded him right right on that hit well and i gotta give peterson credit on his timing because at least in the first i know bravo slowed in the second but if there was one thing at the first round proved was that bravo was the faster fighter but both the spinning back kick counter and the spinning back fist counter they were same time counters, so I, I don't know if he was anticipating it. He saw Bravo telegraphing it on the way in, but he just snuck it right inside both times. The second one obviously leading to the KO. So it's just I don't know. It's an impressive view of timing, and I, I can't wait to see where Peterson goes from here. Now, but now this this next fight, uh, this actually happened a little bit earlier on the card. Uh, I'm going to give you the majority of this breakdown because I actually missed this one. But it was Sujari Eubanks versus Bech Koea, where I actually saw the beginning of the first round the very beginning and kind of walked away thinking oh this is a foregone conclusion and then was kind of shocked to hear the result later so if you could break down how that fight went and i i guess how badly from what i've heard the judges got it wrong well i mean i i I really care less about either of the fighters but there's clearly a a better fighter in this match and it was sajara eubanks i mean i i I don't know if it's my personal feelings towards Beth. I just I just can't stand her. But round one, Sajara not only knocked her down and had her down with her hand uh, behind her back in an old-school wrestling position and was slamming her face just so many times that it, it, was, it almost finished her in the end of the first. It, it was clearly a 10-8 round. Then if you go round two and then round three, yes, Sajara slowed down. But never was there a round where Beth was clearly dominant, nor did she ever get a 10-8 round. So even if Beth who got you know, if Beth got round two and three, that would be two points. And then the 10-8 round in the first versus Jara would be two points. And then you'd have just have yourself a draw. But it, it it was just disgusting, man. I, I have no clue how they let that happen. But I guess they did they wanted a parlay buster and they, they certainly busted things up really fast. Um 
honestly completely blown away by the judging uh, on this card. I will get to a, f- a little bit more of it in a little bit, but like usually you're used to a little bit of bad judging, but usually it's a little bit of bad judging kind of eking the like hometown fighters way. I mean that there wasn't really a hometown fighter uh, in this fight, but later on the card, it's like that it wasn't there. Like there was no hometown cooking or anything like that, but I don't know. I just, I'm just kind of a little bit utterly shocked. Um, one absolutely clear decision that if they would have got wrong, I would have been shocked. I guess similar to a fight later on the card. But Irene Aldana fought Vanessa Mello. And is Vanessa Mello UFC ready? Probably not. So it's, it's a little bit hard to go by uh, this performance. But Irene Aldana treated her like you treat someone that doesn't belong in the octagon with you. She outstruck her. It was an absolute boxing showcase. She even ended the first round trying to throw a a flying knee right up right up the middle just like and it almost landed it just completely outstruck her had beautiful counters had this dipping uh right hook she was doing that was just lighting Vanessa Mello up and I was almost shocked that eventually with enough piling on she didn't get a finish but obviously like we talked about on the show this is largely a showcase fight but how do you come away with this for Irene Aldana I mean obviously Mello wasn't quite up to snuff but do you walk away seeing Irene Aldana as someone who's probably like she says she wants someone in the top five? Do you, you give her a chance against someone in the top five? Um, no, I don't. I, I she just fought some girl that looked like she came out of the bar down the street and uh, had a baby like six months ago. So I I wasn't impressed with her opponent. Um, the matchup. I mean, it 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 made her look good, but I mean, it was just like putting a pretty a decent girl next to a really ugly girl. Of course, she's going to look uh, better than the one next to her. So, I mean, I, I it, it is what it was. As much of a favorite as she was, she didn't impress me as much as uh, the other girl we're going to talk about a little bit later. But it was what it was. She did her thing. But uh, Mello was a pretty tough girl coming out of nowhere uh, with for being a nobody. So, I, it just, it was blah. No, yeah, I could see that. I mean, it just... Vanessa looks like she was a tough competitor who hadn't even quite made it to the UFC or like a two or three fight pro that was on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series or something like that. And Aldana just had way more experience, especially in the striking and didn't really have to worry about it too much going to the ground so she could really let go. I mean, yes, at the upper part of the division, you're going to have some people that could really take her down and hold her down. Uh, now, now, this next fight, it really stung. Like I was, I was counting my money at the end of it. Uh, this was my pick. This was my pick for the fight. I was like, "There's no way," because like a- absolute, wor- like I mean, I was confident in the way the fight was going to go. And if the judges did anything, they would probably make it even more so my way. Because okay, before I get too far, I'm talking about the Brandon Moreno Askar Askarov fight. Uh, my pick last time around was uh, Brandon Moreno at plus one forty five. He was the underdog, fairly substantial one at that. And Brandon Moreno looked good, man. He looked just as good as I thought he would. He, although uh, uh, Asgar seemed to have like the power wrestling advantage, Brandon Moreno's scrambling ability was very impressive. He would get himself out of the worst spots and eventually get to points of dominance. And whenever he was on top, one thing I was really impressed with, even more so uh, than what I thought before the fight he would rain down damaging blows. He wouldn't do those pitter-patter punches that people do on top. He would wind up and land these big borderline haymaker-style punches and land right on Askarov in the face. It was impressive how he can get through. was able to get through his guard like that. And he was the closest to finishing the fight on at least one occasion, but I'd argue two. Uh, there was the head kick, and then, uh, then I'm pretty sure the first round was when he dropped him also. I did scroll this fight uh, 29-28 for Moreno. I was a little bit suspect when I heard the 30-27 on his side. I'm like, okay. How someone scored a draw, I'll never know. And whoever scored it for Askarov, I am just... My mind was blown. I, It was one of those decisions that I thought so clear my way, as biased as I was. And my jaw was just at the ground. I mean, one thing I could take away from this fight was a, a great fight. And although it ended up being a draw, it shows that the pick and the bet at the plus 145 on Brendan Moreno was the right side because 
he very nearly won that fight and it ended up being a draw when he was such a severe underdog. So I guess I'll take that. And then the fact that I didn't lose money, but I mean, what was your reaction to this fight? I mean, I, I know that it was a crazy pace and had a decent amount of output at high elevation, but that almost made it even more impressive because these guys were still going like deep into the third round. Yeah, man, I, I, I literally just threw everything that was in front of me down on the floor. Cause I just was just disgusted with another bad judging decision in MMA. I, I don't know what you got to do, man. I mean, it didn't matter if Moreno knocked him down with a kick at the end of round two. It didn't matter if he had him in a submission, almost subbed him. I guess he's not getting points. Uh, he's not getting points for being Mexican in Mexico. I, I don't know how anyone could ever have scored it for the other guy at all. I, I the The draw... I could see because maybe they didn't want to kill two stars because it was such an exciting performance. But I, it was a clear 29-28 to me. I thought Moreno, uh, his scrambling ability was amazing in those wrestling positions and in jiu-jitsu. Uh, I, I, I especially like to pride myself in uh, being super fast. I'm not bigger, uh, as big as most guys, so I'm smaller. So I need to be explosive and, and fast to have an advantage over someone bigger than me. And um, Brandon Moreno, his wrestling and scrambling ability was amazing in his defense. Uh, it got him out of a lot, a lot of bad positions. And his uh, experience in the octagon also showed. I was super impressed with this this new guy. And uh, I, I had literally didn't have as much respect for him as I do now. I look forward to his next matchup. And I hope that we get a decent line on on him because he seemed to be pretty promising for fighting a guy like Brandon Moreno, who's already been here with a, a, a few guys. No, I completely agree with that, especially this being his debut. Like he came in there like he's an old savvy UFC veteran, which was nice to see from a debutante. Um, the the co-main event on this fight card was Carla Esparza versus Alexa Grasso. Now, again, we're, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but this just seemed like the storyline of the card. It was terrible decisions. Uh, I did not score it for Carla Esparza. And at some point, I wish that uh, the armbar that Alex Grasso got would have finished the fight. So we wouldn't have had to deal with it. Uh, I'm going to pass it on to you. I want you, if you can, break down the armbar a little bit more because you have a little more of the X and O's in that for me. Like it looked beyond tight to me. I'm surprise didn't get tapped or them just stop it from something being broken and then i guess your take on the decision if uh, you all you also think like i did that grasso won it and i guess how egregious it really was yes yeah, so this was another one man they they just <laughs> i guess they love killing the uh, rising stars because alexa grasso is uh, is not only beautiful and she's sweet, and she's a really, really, really skilled uh, striker for in, in the women's division. I, I was super impressed with her takedown ability or takedown defense ability. Um, her jujitsu, that arm bar was so deep it wasn't even real. It was it was done. It was past done. It was it was angled so far the other way that I if that was my arm, it was broken. I don't know. I have no clue how Carlos Esparza's arm didn't snap. Um, I, I, some people are just made really, really different, double-jointed, maybe. I, I don't know how her elbow and arm withstood that. I know she definitely uh, took damage after the fight, and she, she said that she, uh, she hurt herself. But um, she didn't wince. She didn't scream. She, she held through that arm bar and didn't give the referee any verbal tap. There was no tap. It was that wasn't that was the only thing impressive. Other than that, she got schooled, and uh, Alexa Grasso got straight screwed. It, it was a, uh, it was sad watching uh, her when they did the judging decision when she just was like, oh, oh, okay, I guess so. Yeah, um, I guess this was just, and we'll get even more so in the main event in a moment. This is just one of those fight cards that you just left with a bad taste in your mouth. Because even if you're someone, maybe even someone listening to, listening to this that doesn't bet on the fights, and you're just watching for pure enjoyment, the terrible judging and the shenanigans from the main event that we'll get to, I just like like me, it left me just like 
not that I wasted my time because obviously you still got to see like the Peterson spinning back fist KO and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know, especially when it's the last few fights on the main card, you just kind of walk away with like this numb, gross feeling of what did I just experience? Now, going along with that feeling, now that you're all right there with us, uh, the main event was Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens. The fight that lasted 15 seconds, and not because some amazing Tekken-style finish from one of these guys. No one got deaded. The only thing that happened is Yair Rodriguez, without extended fingers, got Jeremy Stevens square in the eye, scratching it to all hell, and to a point that Jeremy Stevens, the tough SOB that he is, couldn't even open his eye. And they ended up calling the fight. Um, like this was another fight that was one of our bets. Uh, Mike had a bet in the year Rodriguez. And after the show, I actually ended up joining him because, as I mentioned on the show, if he got to plus money, I would have to. And I got him at plus 100. But I guess similar to the Moreno fight, since it was an eye poke and it was deemed a no contest and not a DQ, this is another push. So you get that money you bet right back into your bank bankroll. And you get to move on, I guess. Uh, Yair Rodriguez act, start, began celebrating like he won the fight. Then when he was told was not that was not the case, he borderline flipped out on Michael Bisbing, a guy on the night, it's probably 60 pounds heavier than him. And Jeremy Stevens basically got accosted on his way out of the venue things thrown at him, stuff poured on him. Like we didn't mention that in the previous episode, sitting with Carlos Esparza on the way out, she had beer poured on her. I'm not saying that's indicative of like the people at that event particularly. You just had a bad crowd. Uh, that could happen anywhere in the world at any sporting event. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing, but I, you almost feel like, especially in the main event, that the crowd fed off Rodriguez's reaction since he was the hometown boy, he was the star. Jeremy Stevens was the gum coming in on his turf. And they were just trying to get at him for Rodriguez. Um, in terms of what Jeremy Stevens has said, the eye should be good relatively quick. Um, so they could run it back and do it again. There's still a couple big fight cards coming up. Uh, I guess, what's, what's your opinion on the eye poke? Uh, Rodriguez's... Um, reaction to that and if they should run it back and if you have a preference on like major card over the rest of the year uh, that it should go on yeah well this fight sucked man i mean we, we this was going to be really good uh two people that were going to go at it and bang until someone fell i that's what i thought was going to happen and we, and we just got robbed and definitely yair acted super unprofessional uh especially in your own country you have, uh, you know, people who you know can get uh, excessively rowdy, especially when you stir you stir them up, and especially when they've had alcohol all night, um, and after they've paid good money to see this fight and, and now have been robbed of the main event. I think that he acted very poor in his judgment um, and the way that he acted. It was very unprofessional, especially the way that he spoke to Michael Bisping, who's a former world champion and uh, represents the company quite well. Um, I, I thought it was just disgusting, uh, the way that he acted and, uh, uh, Stevens, the eye poke, it definitely poked him. I mean, he's not one to be a sissy. And, uh, like last week we were making fun of, uh, I was making fun of Todd Duffy. This isn't one of those times. Uh, if he could have opened his eyes, he would have, um, I've never had my eyes shut from, um, an, a punch or an injury, but <clears throat> one time my buddy in high school, was a retard and he was trying to pass a drug test, I guess. And he put bleach inside of a, a visine bottle. And, uh, I, I wanted visine to clear my eyes and not bleach, you know? And so I ended up grabbing the bottle and I put, I dropped one in my eye and I instantly knew, uh, something was bad, you know? And I, I can't tell you how fast my eye clammed up and swelled up and, uh, shut. I, uh, I woke up the next morning with so much pus, uh, over my eyelid that I couldn't even open my eye again the next day. So the eyes natural reaction to any foreign object or anything being, uh, uh, anything that's hurting it. It's defense mechanism is to clam shut and to uh, provide fluids to protect the eye. So 
you can't blame Jeremy Stevens. These are just ignorant, dumb fans that don't know anything about anything. Oh well, and you could you could tell like the the reaction to it. Whereas the Todd Duffy one, that eye poke, he seemed to just be utterly confused of the whole situation and flustered. Jeremy Stevens just seemed to be in so much physical pain. Yeah, like I I, I can't even imagine. Like I've, I've had like an accidental somewhat poke near my eye, and I flipped the hell out and i've gotten things that have burned some of that like but never to the degree that happened to him it's just like i'm not i'm not even remotely going to say anything bad about jeremy stevens for what that happened and especially with how gung-ho he wants to run it back and have a rematch i guess it's not really a rematch but wants to do the fight again it's like any interview he does he wants to do it he wants to do it on either the boston card or the uh, msg card or the vegas card. he wants it to be on anything he just wants to have this fight because there was this big how to do about how he's been down at elevation for six weeks. And then uh, fight week, the figure came out that he spent 30 grand on his fight of his fight camp. And I mean, Jeremy Stevens has been in the company a long time, but he's not a big moneymaker. So that 30 grand, that's a substantial amount of his uh, show money. And obviously getting a win bonus. I mean, Dana likes him. So he might've cracked him off a few extra couple thousand, but that's not going to make it right. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that they can get this fight going and actually have it because one, it'll be entertaining and two, it's an end to this weird eye poke situation. Now, normally uh, this is where we would go into news and announcements and we will break into a couple of them before that. We're going to take a little bit of a segue. Another fight card that happened this weekend was Ken Shamrock's valor bare knuckle fighting championship. And I got to say, like, I've watched some of the bare knuckle that has been out. It hasn't really done anything for me. I mean, I, I watched a little bit of the um, Polymanaji. I'm probably going to pronounce that wrong multiple times. I don't know. There's too many syllables in there for me. Uh, fight Artem Lobov. I watched that. Um, I don't know. I, I just haven't got much out of many of them. Uh, for me, they just haven't been very entertaining. I don't know if it's the way they've done the rule set or what, but this Valor card was utterly entertaining. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the whole thing. I I am a fan of one-night tournaments, uh, especially when they do it the way that Valor did. So many times they do the one-night tournaments, it's like a multi-tiered bracket. It's like, you know, you fight once, then you're in the championship. It's, it makes the best amount of sense. Um the early matchups were Sokaju versus Mighty Mo, and then Jack May versus Mark Godbeer. Uh, Mighty Mo had a little bit of trouble with Sokaju and took a decent amount of damage going into it, uh, but ultimately ended up winning and moving on to the finals. Mark Godbeer just laid Jack May out in a severe, severe KO that threw him down to the canvas. To the point that he was being medically checked. I tried to I tried to clock it. There was like three or four minutes where he was breathing, but not really responsive beyond that. And then yeah, in the main event, you had uh, Mighty Mo versus Mark Godbeer, and Mark Godbeer got that title, man. And I I love the three three minute rounds for the first round. And I mean, I don't think it'll probably ever go uh, five three minute rounds for the championship like they they said that they were going to have. But it's just enough time for guys to really get after it and like be able to go all out uh, without having to worry about gassing too bad. I mean, obviously that happened a little bit, but it's still learning somewhat of a new fight style. Um, really, the only per- uh, for anyone that didn't watch it, they use a pit. It's like a circular ring. Uh, there's no fencing up on the sides. There's a little bit of elevated flooring past the circle. You have to stay fighting within the circle. And actually, the biggest person that had issue with that circle, if you watch it, is Sokaju. When he's fighting Mighty Mo, he keeps doing trying to sidestep away from stuff. And I guess uh, in like the octagon or another ring, he would go to like the other portion of the ring, but that's not there. That's out of bounds. So he kept being told to have to stay within the circle to fight. To it almost just seemed to completely get inside his head at some point. He threw up his hands, just not knowing what to do, and. I don't know, man. I just I don't know what it is, but the difference between this I mean, the production value was great. The streaming was awesome. There's something about this that I just found thoroughly entertaining that I just haven't been able to find 
giving the other bare knuckle championships a chance. So uh, how did you feel overall on Valor? And I mean, how do you feel about any of the fights we talked about? Any of the ones not on here? And how do you feel about Mark Godbeer going forward? I mean, he seems marketable enough to have as their uh, heavyweight champion. Although I I don't know if it's, there's just the the tournament champion, like how UFC used to do it, or if he's going to be defending that, that I don't know. Yeah, well, the Valor Fighting Championship did a, an absolutely amazing job for their first event. I don't think people realize how difficult it is uh, to put on a venue and pay the fighters and pay the the ref and pay the commission and pay Pat Miletic and get Ken Shamrock up there nice and fancy in a suit. And it all was so professional. And I was so, I was so stoked to see them be able to put on such a good show for their first event. Um, you know, Ken Shamrock and Lance, uh, and them, they just, they, they did an incredible, incredible job. And I can't wait to see more of it. It, it totally just re- it brought me back to like being a kid and thinking about Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, fighting in blood sport. And that's, that's the only way that I could explain the, this ring and this, like this little pit. Um, and it, it's, it was just awesome to watch, uh, these guys go at it. They, they were throwing bombs dude like uh mighty mo and so could you uh once so could you uh, couldn't find his rhythm in that ring like you said uh, or that pit he could he was just uh, totally out of it he, he almost looked like he wanted to mentally check out especially when he felt mighty mo's power he he had mighty mo hurt i think at one point but uh mighty mo came back and uh he, he ended that fight but uh the way that mark godbeard ended jack may's night man it it reminded me of something in high school that I seen like in the streets, just some big college or the high school football dude, just slamming someone down with a punch, man. It, it was impressive to watch him uh, go from one fight to the next and do what he did, even uh, with a hand injury ending up in the second fight. I, I just, I, I cannot wait to see what they do with the next shows. And uh, it, it just, I couldn't be more proud of the boys and them for uh, putting on such a great show. And the fans, like, couldn't be more entertained. Well, honestly, one, one other thing, I'm just thinking about this now uh, while you were talking. Part of one of the things that I might be enjoying more in this, and there'll be an addendum to that at the end, this is actually bare knuckle. And what I mean by that is all the other ones they're at very, I mean, I know that there's wrist tape uh, in Valor, uh, but so many of the other ones, they still get their hands taped up, man. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, it forms somewhat of a cast, and, like, you can throw that much harder. And I actually think it's the tape that does so much of the cutting that they're experiencing in those other bare-knuckle fights where these guys just have so many lacerations over their face by the end of the fight and not that many finishes. I understand some, something what they've done is they have some lower weight classes as well. But I think the fact this is actually bare knuckle will turn down the amount of uh, uh, cuts that so many have been turned off by by the other bare knuckle contests. Like I know a decent amount of uh, uh, like MMA figureheads, I guess you can put it, have talked about how they want people to fight with no gloves and then now are going back on that because they're seeing all the lacerations. But I really think that might have to do with the extra padding on the hands that the guys are getting from getting all the way taped up. The fact that these guys aren't taped up, yeah, they have to hit with power. They do have to put some in reserve so they don't hurt their hands. I and mean, then, yeah, we and you, are, you already spoke on uh, some of the hand injuries. And that's going to happen, especially in a one-night tournament. But that could happen in a one-night tournament with gloves. So, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm walking away from this excited about uh, events in the future, since they've said they plan on doing more. Um, if they can get on a halfway decent schedule of like one every couple months, it's like you could really build up a fan base doing this. And I, it, it went every way conceivable way they could have wanted it to go. It's like the fights were exciting. I mean, it's a, it's a new rule set to get used to. And obviously the staying inside the pit and everything like that. But I definitely look forward uh, to their next event whenever they decide to announce that. Now, now transitioning into uh, our news and announcements, uh, some fight announcements, and other, other random news and notes. Uh, two big fights that have been announced. One was just announced either today or yesterday, and one just since we last recorded the show. The one that happened since the last time we recorded the show was uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Robbie Lawler, which is just a great fight, um, although I'm starting to get worried that they are borderline just using Robbie Lawler's name to build up contenders at uh, welterweight because Ponzinibbio is a dangerous, dangerous man, and other than minor injury and being 
just on the shelf for a long time. It's like, this is a very dangerous fight for Lawler. Um, and then a huge fight that got announced was Brian Ortega, after over a year, is going to be fighting Korean Zombie. And they're going to headline uh, the last card of the year, which is uh, December 21st, and that is actually in South Korea. Um, now, before I move on to a little bit other news and notes, do you have uh, necessarily a lean on either one of those fights? Obviously, this is not a pick. This is not an official anything, just initial leans and or just thoughts on the matchups in general. Um, yeah, I, I I don't like the matchup for Lawler. I think it, it's it doesn't favor him. So I I definitely would go with Ponzi and uh, Ortega versus the Zombie. I, I'm gonna go with uh, the Zombie because he just does zombie things. No, I agree, and he definitely has power and can really put a hurting on Ortega because if Ortega fights uh, Zombie like he tried to fight uh, Holloway and goes tries to go toe-to-toe with the striking, that's not going to go very well. And obviously, uh, the Korean zombie is no slouch on the ground. So, I don't know. It just makes for a banger of a fight. I'm excited for it. Um, another little bit of news, uh, you actually sent this my way, is they had talked about, and not really hush whispers, but like pontificating the fact that The Rock might be the one to put the belt on whoever wins the BMF title. It was more uh, Masvidal going back forth them on Twitter. Well, Dana White has made it official that whoever wins that belt is going to get put on him by the rock and that the title itself is going to be worth $50,000, which sounds like a lot. And I mean, it absolutely is, but I would also like to hear how much like a normal championship championship belt costs. And if this is substantially more than that, I wonder how those guys feel walking around with a belt. That's not going to be <laughs> worth as much as that one. Um, then the last little bit of news, and we will be able to use this transition uh, into the fight card that we're talking about, but uh, a recent fallout from actually this week's fight card, UFC Copenhagen, um, Alessio DiCirico needed a new opponent. Now, in steps in Mahmed Muradov. The reason this is a big thing is he is uh, Floyd Mayweather Jr.'s only MMA fighter that he has signed. So he's the only one he's representing. And he's in the UFC now, and he's going to be the UFC's first uh, Uzbekistanian-born fighter. He has over 25 fights to his credit, and he is already installed as the favorite in this fight, and this fight got announced today. So, I guess, thoughts on more connection with Floyd Mayweather and the UFC? If you know anything about this newcomer coming in, and just thoughts on the scenario at all. Well, I think it's it's got to be pretty alarm. Or it's pretty, it's pretty cool that uh, Team Money uh, selected this first guy as their MMA fighter. You'd have to think there's a reason why that they they have chosen him. And I did a little bit of tape study, and I and I and what I found is that he he possesses the super aggressive, dominant um, striking style and ground and pound, and the type of like wrestling and positioning that I love uh, in my fighters. So I I, lo- I love what I've seen so far in this uh, this this kid. The only other thing is though he is a, a DiCarico is no joke. I mean he's not he's not just going to be bullied or just going to be some pushover. So this is going to be his first real test ever versus a guy with some grappling and some striking who's already been in the octagon versus some talented people like you know the new kid Kevin Holland is a was pretty talented you know and so. I think that this is going to be a great fight to watch. Okay, now moving on a little bit further on the card. Although, actually, I've been to several different sites, and I'm seeing a slight different bout order in a lot of them. So this next fight might actually be before this one. might be after this one. But it has a guy that I know you like in it. So after I give the initial bring-up and the current odds, I will throw it your way. Uh, Jack Shore, currently minus 170, is fighting uh, Nolan Hernandez, plus 150. Uh, I know you got to lean on this fight. Uh, give me a little breakdown and also tell me the number that you got in this fight so we can do a little comparison. Yes, uh, Tank Shore. Uh, he is one of the Welsh's top prospects at the moment. He's undefeated. He has really, really, really good single leg, double leg takedowns. He seems to not play very many games and knows what he's good at. And he will shoot in for that double and single leg and finish it very, very well. I love wrestling and I love jujitsu. And whenever I see that type of fight fighter, I love uh, 
I love having them on on my side. So I uh, I'm gonna pick uh, him, Mr. Shore. I I'm gonna put the money line down. It was I think a negative one sixty um, on Bovada, and I think that Shore should be able to get a uh, possible rear naked choke finish in front of his uh, country and all of his fans and show them what a, a top prospect is because the guy that he's facing uh, has given up his neck uh, just recently. Oh, awesome to hear. Can't wait to watch that fight. And now uh, one quick note that I have not mentioned before on this show. The odds that I give out are typically the five dimes lines at the time since most pe- betters on uh, especially MMA Twitter or Smaller time betters or first time betters, it's all usually within five dimes. But if you go to something like uh, Bet My, uh, Best Fight Odds, you'll be able to see a number of different sports books, and some guys have money in multiple different sports books. So that can aid in some of the difference of the number. Uh, or it's just a, a timing thing. Like last week, the plus 145 I got on Moreno at the time of the show, he was down to plus 140, but by fight time, he had bounced back up to plus 145. So just that, that little bit of news and note. Uh, so the next fight we're going to talk about is Nicholas Dalby. He is a plus 135 underdog against Alex Cowboy Oliveira, the Brazilian Cowboy, at minus 155. Now, Dalby has found his way back to the UFC after he went 3-1 with one no contest in Cage Warriors. He got the welterweight title there, uh, interim first, and then unified it. And he was part of a fight so bloody, the last fight in the organization, against Ross Houston who many believe was winning at the time, uh, Dolby, not Houston. The surface was deemed unsafe to fight on because it was so bloody that that was the one no contest. <laughs> and it got so popular that they had talked about doing the rematch of Nicholas Dolby versus this Ross Houston in the UFC. But instead, uh, for their return to Copenhagen, they just signed him straight away and they're putting him along with Alex Oliveira, who's on the first two fight skid of his career. Um, after losing to someone later on the card, um, Gunnar Nelson, uh, among others, uh, most recently to um, Mike Perry. Gunnar Nelson was before that in a super bloody submission loss. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of liking Dalby a little bit in this fight uh, in terms of a pick. I think I would go Dalby, so I can mark that down just as a pick. I'm not betting this fight right now. Um, I think. Alex Oliveira has always been a lightweight who doesn't want to make lightweight and doesn't stay in shape enough to be at lightweight. So he's fighting at welterweight and he's just not big enough for it. And when he can't bully, he implodes. And I think Dalby is going to stick around long enough to feel that implosion of uh, Alex Cowboy Oliveira. So Mike, how do you feel about this fight? Are you leaning one way or another? Do you have a pick? A lean, a bet, anything? Um, yeah, I I like Dolby a lot in this matchup. Um, I think that he, it's he's from uh, what Denmark, I believe, which is right there in Copenhagen. Same exact thing. I think that it's a it's a perfect opportunity to showcase his skills. That he he's just been one of those guys who I I had him highlighted uh, about three four years ago as a prospect who I, I would keep my eye on. He kind of came up and then he dropped out and then. Um, now he's back. I think that they set him up for this fight versus Alex Oliveira because Alex Oliveira is super, super aggressive and uh, loves these, <clears throat> sorry, being a part of these bloodbaths. And I think that Alex Oliveira's life has been changed. I think he's not, he's never going to be the same fighter he's ever, he was. He, once his nose was smashed in and, and just, just a rearranged, he, he's just not going to be the same fighter. He doesn't want to take that same damage. And that's going to leave him vulnerable for not only damage to the face and then cuts, but then it's going to leave him uh, vulnerable on the ground to be submitted after he gives up, uh, you know, after quitting from punches to the face, he'll drop to the ground, cover his face and give up his back and most likely give up a submission. So I think that Dolby is a great bet this, uh, this mat, this card. And I'm hoping that someone buys into Alex Oliveira so that I could jump on him. So I'm just waiting on that. Nice. Now, in the next fight, bear with me on the name. I'm trying to work on it. I'm trying to get better. Uh, Michael Olegzekchuk. We'll go with that. I'm going to start calling him Mo at this point. Um, He's a minus 230 favorite against 
Ovin St. Pru or OSP or OSP, depending how you want to go with it. Uh, he's at plus 190. Uh, McCall has major, major finishing abilities. Um, he's got some serious power, and we've all seen OSP's chin fading. Can it hold up? I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards no. Uh, OSP is 1-3 in his last four, and the biggest thing that's keeping his name anywhere near the top of the division is one of his last big wins was a head kick KO over now surging contender Corey Anderson, who's pushing for his chance at the title. But his last loss was that head kick loss to OSP. So I, I think uh, before uh, you and I had talked about it before, I also want to give out there is the odds of Mike McCall inside the distance is minus 155 for anyone's thinking it's going to go that way. And honestly, I think that's the most likely outcome. I would love to be able to see that at plus money because then that would for sure be a bet for me. The minus 155 is a little bit steep because I would have to put enough in it to at least cover a unit. So as of right now, I'm backed away from it. But uh, if you're looking for a good uh, parlay piece, I think McCall could be in there for sure. And I mean, I know OSP has got some freak athleticism, but that's becoming fewer and fewer far Fewer and fewer and far between when he could actually do it. Um, how do you feel about this matchup? Do you think OSP's chin could actually hold up to this for once? Is it, is it back? Does he have it enough? No. Um, I'm, I th- I'm with Michael. I think that he's going to get a, a finish here. I think he's more aggressive, has a better chin, and OSP has, has shown me nothing in the really the last four fights. I know he's gotten a head kick win. But uh, head kick wins are not unsay fluky, but they're just they can happen in a in a in a much easier way in a lucky way almost. But I, I think that Michael should be able to dominate OSP, uh, just like we talked about the white OSP Krilov uh, performing and not showing up. I think that the real OSP is going to show uh, come here and not show up. Yeah, and it, honestly, I think it's going to be a he's going to get KO'd and it's just, I don't know. He just has tendency to just go full limp and go down. So I, I don't know. It's going to be quite the highlight. Uh, if it happens the way you and I are thinking, um, the next fight is Ion Kutalaba at plus plus one fifteen against Khalil Roundtree jr. At minus minus one thirty five. How do you see this fight? I actually, I favor uh, Khalil Roundtree jr. Um, when I think about two people as athletes and uh, I, I think about being on the street, if I saw Kutlaba and Khalil and, and uh, Khalil Mack, <laughs> if I saw Roundtree Jr., I would... Uh, it's okay. They they won yesterday, so it's okay to get your mind on, on them. Yeah, on the Bears. I know. They did a great yeah. job. Um, so, uh, Mr. Roundtree Jr., a.k.a. Mack, um, I, I think that his striking... When, when he first got in the UFC... He was just an athlete and a very, very good athlete. Super explosive, had a lot of power, but very, very, very rough and raw. He's he's beginning to be much, much more polished. His stri- believing in his striking and himself and his chin and when to put himself in different situations. I, I feel like uh, Roundtree Jr. is just a monster, man. And uh, I, I think it was a Jared Cannonier that uh, beat up Kutlaba. I, I think that uh, this is another uh, big Godzilla dude who's going to come here and Roundtree Jr. is going to uh, grab him in a Muay Thai clinch and slam knees into him and something else. And I, I just really feel like <clears throat> this is Roundtree Jr.'s fight to showcase himself. I have a lot of issue with Kutalaba for, for a couple reasons. I'll, I'll give you a little background. Is like He's coming off a loss to Glover Shushera, but he... He's really, really good. I, I don't want to downplay Ian Kudalaba. He is. He's really, really good. He's fairly athletic. He has a good wrestling game for light heavyweight division. He has good sound striking. He just has this... He can't keep anything in the tank. Every punch is thrown to finish. Every takedown is initiated to finish. He doesn't know how to pull back when he needs to. Obviously, you want to go for broke one. It's necessary. But if you're going for a takedown and it's not going to be there, 
you don't put your whole weight into it. You get to an advantageous position and then you back away. Uh, if the finish is not there, you back off the striking to have something in the reserves. He doesn't fight that way. He, as far as I could tell, he can't fight that way. Um, even the past USADA issue hasn't helped him figure out a way around that way. On the other side, you have Khalil Roundtree, who, like you've said, has, has looked better and better. He, he had a bounce back win against Eric Anders after being in that another one of uh, Johnny Walker's already impressive highlight reel. He added to that. But uh, Roundtree is now training close to, if not full time in Thailand. We saw the massive change in uh, his striking game in his recent fights. And he's consistent. He knows when to pour it on. He knows when to pull it off. So, like, right now, if you had to ask me who's the better fighter, I probably would still pick Ion Kudalaba. He would say who's the better striker. First of all, I might go Roundtree, but in general, like, with combos and, and just general power, I would still probably go Kudalaba. Wrestling? Well, that's 100% Kudalaba. I actually think in this fight, he's going to have some pretty dominant wrestling in the first round. But it, he can't sustain it. So... I wanted to put money in Kudalaba so bad. I really, really, really did. But he's let me down so many times, and he's just completely burned through his reserves in just over a round, and the other guy taken over. So I'm, I'm going to go with you, Mike. I'm going to agree with you. I think Roundtree's going to get it. I think it's going to be – I actually think Roundtree's probably going to lose the first round. I think it's going to be a close but clear round for Roundtree in the third. And then I think it's going to be such a dominant uh, – close round in the second – uh, such a dominant round in the third by Roundtree that he actually might get a finish just from piling up so much on so much offense. So with that, I'm going to go to a fight that I really want to bet, but I would need the odds flipped for it. Uh, it's Gunnar Nelson. He's plus 125 against Gilbert Burns, which is at minus 145. Uh, Gilbert Burns is a longtime lightweight. He actually did come into the UFC at welterweight for a short notice fight, but spent the majority of his career at 155. Uh, this will be his second fight at 170. Burns is replacing uh, Tiago uh, Alves, who had to back out due to injury. And he's on a three-fight win streak, which includes this move up to welterweight against, at that point, uh, like a, a hot prospect in Alexei Kuchenko, Alexei Kuchenko this past August. Uh, Nelson himself is coming off a split decision loss to Leon Edwards, a guy who's at the top of the division and actually might be fighting for a title next if the UFC really wants to stick it to Colby Covington uh, before that was the bloodbath sub win over Alex Oliveira that actually I brought up earlier. Um, um, I, I, I mean, I showed my hands already. I want to bet Burns in this fight because I really like Gunnar Nelson. Gunnar Nelson is good. He has a good blend of karate and uh, uh, jujitsu, but this is one of those times where he's fighting someone with better jujitsu than him, with better accolades than him and a more powerhouse ground specialist in Burns. I think Burns has more power on the feet. Uh, it could even just come down to the fact that Burns is willing to put out more offense, and Nelson is looking for the perfect strike. Would I be shocked if Nelson somehow got a random sub? Not necessarily, but I don't. when I first saw this fight, I'm like, yes, I'm going to bet Burns. But this price is keeping me away in a major way. I thought the line was going to be flipped and I was going to get Burns at dog money again, but apparently everyone's starting to realize that Burns at dog money is actually a pretty good bet. So at least as of right now, I'm staying away. The pick will be Burns, but I'm going to keep my eye on it. If he gets close enough to even money, even if it's a pick em, or maybe even minus 120, I, I might not be able to say no. Uh, how do you feel about this fight? Do you think it's going to go to the karate jiu-jitsu fighter, or are you going to go with uh, Kamara Usman's main training partner? Um, I, I like Burns in this matchup. I think that um, whenever Gunnar Nelson's jiu-jitsu gets equalized or outmatched, and the other time that it has been like that, it was uh, two times. It was um, Damian Maya, which he lost, and Ponzinibbio, which he lost. Um, two black belts, high, uh, pretty high class. So I, Burns has got the better grappling. I'm not worried about him getting submitted at all. If he gets submitted, I'm just a moron, and it is what it is. But who, who's who got the more dangerous striking and can knock you out is Burns. 
Burns is a, and Burns is a jiu-jitsu guy. So I think that this is just one of those fights where if we were in the street, like who, who who would want to kill that person that day? And I, I just think that Burns is the more dog that day. I think that he's going to be there and stay there. And if if Nelson gets hurt at all, he's going to resort to going for a takedown and then give Burns what he wants. So this is going to be very uh, this is going to be a great fight. I, I can't wait to watch this one. I'm leaning Burns for sure. I wish he was well, plus money. No, I agree. And actually, one thing I I, forgot, I failed to mention, one thing that I think happens to Nelson also is. I mean, he looks like he's finally put on a little bit of muscle, but for the majority of his career, he's not a big 170. So many people have said he should go, should go down to lightweight up until recently when he did put on a little bit of muscle. Burns is, was a huge lightweight, could make it, but a huge lightweight at welterweight. So this is not like Gilbert Burns fighting a huge 170 that he's not going to be able to out-muscle. They're going to be a fairly comparative size. So if, if that's any little bit of extra push I give to anybody about the Burns side, there it is. Um, now, again, like I said, uh, with the bout order, I've seen it different in a couple places. Um, when, I, when I looked it up, it showed the co-main event as this next fight that we're going to talk about. Uh, Mark Madsen is currently a minus 600 favorite against Danilo Buyardo, who's a plus 450. And you, if you don't know these names, you're wondering why is this guy a gigantic favorite? Well, he is an Olympic Greco-Roman silver medalist at about this weight. And he's from Denmark. So this is a showcase fight for him. And then also the other reason you can tell the showcase fight is this Danilo Buyardo is a striker, or at least he's fashioned to be a striker, but he's coming off a brutal KOTK loss to Joel Alvarez, who's much more of a BJJ ground-specific fighter this past June. Um, so the UFC wants to get a finish, and they want it to look really, really good. Uh, do you think that's how it's going to go, Mike? Oh, yes. Uh, Matson's wrestling is uh, UL Romero... DC caliber, it's it's up there. We're I cannot wait to see what takedown he takes him down with. I don't know if he's gonna do a, a pick him up and slam him like DC and walk him across the, the ring or the cage, the octagon. I mean, but uh, it's gonna be amazing. It, this isn't just like oh, this is 2006 uh, medalist. This is 2016 silver medalist in Greco-Roman wrestling. I just see Matson doing anything that he wants to do to this kid. And uh, it's just, I don't know how sharp Matson's skills are with uh, his striking on the ground or how well-versed he is with jiu-jitsu yet. So this is going to be a first uh, for all of us to kind of see what kind of skills he has with jiu-jitsu mixed with some striking. But I, I, I fully expect that Matson showcase and get this W in front of his country and it just be an amazing uh, highlight. And then I'm wrong. We're not saying make a million parlays and have Madsen in all of them because it's still a UFC debut. It's still under the bright lights, even if it's not like a big UFC pay-per-view. So, but this is a perfect fight to sit back and watch to see how he fights. I've heard people say that Greco-Roman is the perfect style of wrestling to transition into MMA because it's not so... A lot of the takedowns aren't doesn't, don't leave your neck so available to getting grabbed on, basically. So, like similar to um, Randy Couture and how he used to fight, it's like very rarely would he find himself in a submission because your neck just isn't in those positions. Now, for the main event of UFC Copenhagen, and you might be wondering why this is the main event. Jack Hermanson does a lot of training in Denmark. He's a little bit of a transplant. That's why you'll see. Uh, I believe it was an article that actually Mike sent me, but you'll see it uh, if they let him put it up. He'll usually have a double banner of both flags of where he's from and his adopted home behind him. He is a minus 235 currently favorite over Jared Cannonier, who's plus 195. Uh, just dip below that actually used to be plus 200 not that long ago, but that's where it sits now. Um, both of these men are coming off wins over Brazilian legends. Uh, Hermanson just beat Jacare. On uh, his last fight at middleweight, Jack Ray went up to 205, and Cannonier beat Silva with a TKO. 
possibly leg issue. Silva nervous. He broke his leg again with some dominant leg kicks. In my opinion, this is not. They actually they might say it on the broadcast. Who knows? To amp everything up, kind of see this is de, fa- de facto number one contenders fight for the middleweight title. Uh, a little bit later in the year, we're having the unification bout between uh, Whitaker and Adesanya, the interim title versus the real title to see who the champ is. And honestly, this is the highest profile fight at middleweight. Other than that, anybody else in the top five or six isn't really matched up or at least matched up with anybody in that same vein. Um, I'm going to play my cards right off the bat, even before passing it to Mike. Uh, my bet on this card is Jared Cannonier at the plus 195 for a unit. So one unit to win almost two back. Uh, that actually might float back up because uh, I think Hermanson's probably going to get a little bit more love closer to the actual fight. Uh, Jack Hermanson is on a great winning streak. He is. He beat... David Branch, who's my guy. I mean, Jared Kennedy beat him too, but he beat David Branch, who's my guy. He beat Jacare, who you would think if he was able to uh, beat um, David Branch, he's not going to be able to beat Jacare and on the ground, and he beat Jacare, but I don't know, man. This is an aged Jacare who wanted to switch to grappling so bad, even though he was winning the striking. I the main, one of the reasons I'm going with Jared Cannonier Jared in this fight. Okay, now, Jared Cannonier came into UFC at heavyweight. He eventually fought at light heavyweight. Now he's fighting at middleweight. But somehow this guy has brought the power all the way down to heavyweight. He has heavyweight power. He has finally come into his own. He is looking great. I see this as the closest fight to the Tiago Santos fight that Jack Hermanson had a few years ago where he got completely blasted. I think Hermanson is about the same fighter. I do think he has more confidence now, but I think if a power striker, like a power kickboxer lands on him flush, they're going to send him back. And I get the feeling that Jared Kennear is the guy that can do that. And that's why that's my bet for this fight. My pick, my bet, everything. So let's get this back from the last event and, come away with giving you guys some money. So Mike, what's your thought on the main event? Uh, who you pick in, which way you lean in? Um, this fight is going to be a good one. I I've been a big Hermanson fan all the way up and, uh, he's been quite impressive. He, uh, his striking is what lacks and he, the way that he shoots in for takedowns, it leaves him vulnerable to a knee or to a kick or to just to be hit by a power strike. And so I, I like that you're going out on the limb and going to pick uh, Jared Cannonier here because it is a very risky matchup for uh, Jack Hermanson. I don't think he really understands it. I think that he thinks that this is just going to be a, a walk in the park for sure, easy victory. And I, I don't, I, I don't see it as that either. Um, so I, I, I just can't wait to watch this fight. And I hope that uh, Jared Cannonier can uh, show him some of that power and cashes uh, for our fans. Okay, now before we completely close, I want to at very least review our bets, and I want to ask you, uh, you have Jack Shore at minus 160, is that to win one unit, or is that yes, higher? Sir. Just to win one unit? Okay, so we the bets for our show, we have one bet on Jack Shore, uh, Mike has it at minus 160, it's currently minus 170, it might bounce around in and about that area, and that's to win one unit. And we, for my bet, is the Jen and Karen, Jen, Ken, apologize for that, Jared Cannonier at plus 195. I honestly think that's probably going to get back over plus 200, but you know what? I already locked it in. So at least for me, that's one unit at plus 195. Who knows? By the time you listen to this and check the odds of yourself, it may have tipped back over plus 200. And I think that has, that's a very good chance of winning, especially as a straight price. Now, one last thing uh, before we do go, I want to give a little bit of a shout out. And Mike would, Mike's probably going to echo this, but I'll give him a chance to do it. If not, we have a shout out to just Valor in general and Lance, who is, we're buddies with. He helped set up just about everything. He's tight with Ken Shamrock. So also shout outs to Ken Shamrock. Uh, Ken, Lance does great work and has helped us out immeasurably in the past. So kudos to them. I'm putting on such a great event. And here's to many more. 
Yeah, and uh, I'd just like to give a shout out to my uh, buddy Pete over at Pax and Breaks on Facebook. It's P-A-C-K-Z and B-R-E-A-K-Z. Uh, they're just doing uh, amazing things and making uh, card collecting come back again in a major way. They're just pulling ridiculous cards out. I, I just myself uh, put in 60 and got like a $240 uh, uh, rookie card. So it's just been a lot of fun. Well, this was the MMA for Money show, the MMA show for the money. Uh, enjoy the fight, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Peace. Mm-hmm.